Dear listener, welcome to the podcast Holding Space. We are your hosts, Aminata Cairo and Vinnie Joseph. In this podcast, we take you along exploring my new book, Holding Space, a storytelling approach to trampling diversity and inclusion. This book is dedicated to offering a new, alternative perspective on engaging a world strive with questions and challenges. I wrote this book specifically for you, the audience, with the hope that it can be a gift that you can put to good use. We have invited some of you, the audience, to explore some of the chapters of this book with us. What does this book mean to you, to us? What can it mean and how does it translate into action? We hope you will stick around and enjoy these conversations. For today's episode, Aminata and I invited Bertrand, Roshni and Erin. Bertrand Laborde comes from a farmer's family and grew up in the French countryside. He then moved to the Netherlands, where he has been living for the last 12 years. He has been working in international startup companies since the start of his career. Roshni Ramotar is a young law professional with a special passion for social justice, gender and human rights. Role models like Kimberly Crenshaw, Eartha Kitt and Michelle Obama have inspired her to become the proud feminist that she is. Erin Kenny is a professor of anthropology at Missouri State University in Springfield, Missouri, USA. She specializes in gender and economic transactional practices. She has worked with communities in East and West Africa and currently does action research with families in the Ozarks. She's the mother of a lovely daughter named Kira Bell. Welcome, special welcome to Erin, Roshni and Bertrand, of course, uh, in the States, The Hague. And Bertrand, where are you? Uh, I'm in the Netherlands. In the Netherlands, okay. So... Good to have you here. Aminata, next to me, of course. Welcome to this special podcast of my favorite chapter of the book. So I want to start with asking you, what um, was the first thing that came up when you saw the title, Appropriation as Colonization? Uh, I was very happy to be assigned to that, uh, to, to that chapter, actually. Oh, that's nice. I want to hear more about why you were happy that you were assigned to this chapter. Yeah, it really, uh, really touched me. So mm. uh, I was, uh, uh, I was really, uh, really happy that I could uh, hear more on the on the topic. Mm. Thank you. I was really struck by the little image of Bo Derek wearing the braids, and um, I know that for years and years I've watched people appropriate hairstyles and fashion and. Um, especially because I'm an anthropologist. It's always a big joke when you go to like the anthropology meetings and people are wearing like um, clothing that they've appropriated from the field. And um, so I know um, as a graduate student, uh, this was always a big source of um, almost entertainment to the other graduate students. Like what, <laughs> don't you have styles of your own yeah. that you can wear to the, to the conference? Years ago, there was a, controversy about um, I think it was the woman who was in no doubt and she was wearing a bindi it's an inappropriate use of someone else's cultural traditions and and sort of you know ripped out of context 
And I, I think people might, as, as individuals, think, well, this is how I'm honoring another group. But in fact, um, one of the things that I always encourage my students to think about is how they're reproducing patterns of violence by not stopping and checking their privilege and, um, and, and asking the questions about why the appropriation of cultural materials is a one-way street. And Erin, maybe because I don't think all the listeners already know what Bo Derek is doing in this chapter. So maybe you want to give a little context on, on what Aminata wrote about Bo Derek and hairstyles. Sure. So there's a little image of um, Bo Derek, probably pretty famous. You can maybe close your eyes and summon it up from that movie 10. Yeah. And so she's wearing um, cornrows. So this is a thing that you, you frequently see. Um, I've had the opportunity to visit the Caribbean and, you know, it's a kind of a thing where tourists go and, and get their hair done in non-Western hairstyle. And you see the same kind of things with, with dreadlocks. Mm, yeah. Another um, image that I'm familiar with that I use sometimes, again, with my classes is it's from um, a Victoria's Secret runway show. And there's um, a model walking down the, the runway wearing, you know, basically lingerie, but also wearing um, a Native American headdress. Right. Uh, and you see a lot of these at like music festivals and things. So I think it's, a, it's an appreciation of, of, of a look. But again, these looks are not non-political. Mm -hmm. They come out of histories. And so... So that, that image of, of Bo Derek running on the beach with um, her hair braided yeah, with yeah, little... Yeah. Um, yeah. There are those who lump hairstyles like braids and dreadlocks in the category of appropriation. I personally don't necessarily see it that way. I don't think one particular group has the patent on certain hairstyles. However, what happened with Bo Derek in the 1980s was appropriation. Bo Derek wore her hair in braids in the movie 10. Now, everybody instantly knew that that was an African hairstyle. However, this hairstyle hit like a bomb. People, meaning white women, ran to the salon to get Bo Derek hairstyle. Wait, what? Bo Derek hairstyles? Yes, and people were dead serious about it. No mention, no acknowledgement of the African heritage represented in the hairstyle. This was a new cultural phenomenon. Black women were left scratching, or rather patting their head, wondering what had just happened. Maybe you want to share something about that. You know, it's about the not honoring, you know. I mean, I have nothing against people wearing braids, nothing wrong with that. But I remember when that came out and it was just like, oh, my God, I want a Bo Derek hairstyle. What do you mean a Bo Derek hairstyle? You mean that African hairstyle? <laughs> but it, that's what it was called. It was a Bo Derek and all of a sudden, as if we had never worn our hair like that, even though we had for forever. Um, and people would go to the hair salon to get Bo Derek hair and just... <laughs> Um, but I, I remember that, and that mm. was just insanity. I was just like, what, what but, you know, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. that's, that's what that was about. Yeah, cool. So, Roshni, what was 
um, your first thought when you saw the title of the chapter? Uh, well, when I first saw the title appropriation, I was a bit scared mm. because when you talk about appropriation, it could go anyway. But then I saw it would follow by as colonization and I sort of could understand where it was going. To me, it was already explaining what appropriation is mm. by starting out what appropriation isn't. And I thought that's a really good way to explain what appropriation is. And I think, for instance, um, the hairstyle is a good way for me to, or, or the bindi is a good way to say um, what's sort of the issue or where, where lies the harm in appropriation. It isn't so much wearing a bindi on itself or wearing braids, but it's, as you explained it, it's it's taking, it's without honoring, it's often profiting without letting the people who yeah. whose culture it is letting them profiting uh, from it themselves and the first thought that came to mind was I used to have a teacher mm. who used to wear a bindi to school and uh, I remember she was really bullied as a teacher she was bullied by other lecturers and educators but also bullied by students and then a few years later you walk into your Zara and you walk into your Bershka and you see bindis everywhere marked as Coachella festival yeah. <laughs> accessories. So when I first read the title, mm. all these different sort of memories came to mind of how it is used and misused in some contexts. Yeah. So was there something that resonated with you when you read the chapter? For me, it's like I, I, I know a little bit the feeling, you know, of, of seeing seeing someone else receiving compliments for for your own work and and, and not being thanked for that. I mm. think it. Has happened to mm-hmm. many people in their job or even in personal circles, and uh, you know when that happens, it just stings. You know, it hurts, it annoys, it angers. But then it looks what I was like reading... you recognize this. <laughs> can, can, can you feel that? I can feel it <laughs> through the screen. Yes, definitely. Uh, I just cannot imagine how deep those emotions and the pain must go when it's about not just about yourself, but when it's about the legacy of your of your ancestors being stolen. Mm. You know, when you are aware of how how tough their life has been. Mm. And I think this must be heartbreaking. So uh, uh, it, it was going from, you know, my little experience to realizing that, oh, wow, that, that, must, feel, that must feel horrible. Yeah. To me, what stood out was the issue of, or the matter of identity. Mm-hmm. It was really stood out to me. But in um, in Baudet's example, it's not so much about individuality or identity. It's more of a artistic choice, I would say, to go against something that is um, traditional to your identity. Whereas um, for others who, for instance, hairstyles more common, it's a different issue of identity. It's an issue of political identity. It's so much less being able to have the artistic choice or the artistic freedom to use it uh, and not take into regard identity like Princess Bojarek does in that example. Yeah, that that kind of goes back to that teacher that you talked about. That, that's what it makes me think of, you know? It's cute that you're all doing this at Coachella, yeah. but do you know what she went through <laughs> when mm. she was trying to be her, mm. when she was trying to be herself and being bullied by, you know, fellow colleagues and by students? And then to watch, you know, people at a party um, and then it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. For her to continue wearing the bindi day after day, even after all the remarks, wow. it 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 swifted from being mm. a, just an identity to being a political statement. Because mm. now wearing the bindi was a political statement. She would never have the luxury of just for it being artistic as it is, or for being appreciated as it is. Mm. Yeah. Because now um, that choice has sort of been taken away. Mm. Yeah by yeah. others who yeah. reacted to it as they did. Yeah. I was really struck um, by this discussion about your womb family versus your blood mm-hmm. family and how the relationality uh, that you have with each side of your family is, is slightly different or slightly tweaked, but how you saw like echoes of that in your travels, like in the Appalachian community, how people had an understanding of what that meant so, um, so you know, as you were in Appalachia, and then and then there were there were things that you that reminded you of Surinamese kinship categories, right. even right. though you were in another part of the world. That there were um, there there were echoes of this same kind of um, construction of self or or subjectivity. Yeah, um, I felt like that was very rich. Mm. I, I I appreciated learning about that. I like I like the term echoes because that's not how I'd seen it, but I like that you know that that uh, yeah, and it also is it what connects you, especially when you went to to the reservation, and they first started you know they they first they start with the, the tribal lineages and my mother's side and my father like oh <laughs> you know and 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 really through this is Appalachia in the desert, <laughs> you know, and, and, and all those, yeah, like, like the echoes. I'm going to hold on to that one. I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. Are there other reactions or responses on this? For me, it is um, the part where you mentioned that appropriation is possible because of the sense of considering oneself mm-hmm. um, as disconnected from the others, because that's where I found the, um, the cause of appropriation. Mm. That's why I could read the cause. And I was wondering whether that was supposed to be the cause mm. or was it supposed to show the effect of appropriation? Mm. In um, particularly, for instance, um, to disconnect yourself from the historic aspect and the social aspect and the cultural aspect, make it easier for one to appropriate. That's the way I see it. I don't know if other people see it that way, but... Um... If I'm not connected to you, you know, if, 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 you know, if I'm not connected to you, then I don't have to feel for you. I don't have to feel with you. And I can just take and say, oh, well, this is mine. But mm-hmm. if I'm connected to you, then I'm going to be sensitive and know that this means something to you, us, you know, your story. Yeah. Um, then I'm going to act differently. So that's, yeah. Mm-hmm. But maybe also connected to oneself. So if you feel a certain connection with your your ancestry or your past, that you might also be more sensitive to the connection someone else yes, has. Definitely. With mm. their definitely. ancestry, with yeah. their background. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it starts also with the premise that we are, we are all connected, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the beginning of the book and also where we end, you know, that the whole idea that we are all connected and that means something. Um, and when you don't recognize that or live as if you are disconnected, that allows you then to do certain things. Yeah, so whether it's connection with your own ancestors or, 
or, you know, or connecting with, the, with you know, people around you and, and then understand, you know, their ancestors, that's all linked. And so even when I, I start out the book with, I talk about my, my foundation. And so I talk about my great grandmother and I talk about my mother and, and you know, so also people that I've passed on uh, that I'm still connected to and they, and they, you know, throughout the book, they come back and I draw from them. And, yeah, uh, and that makes me wonder whether it's for others, it's more easy to disconnect with yourself than for others because, for instance, um, your own self isn't as, like I said, politicized mm -hmm. as others. For instance, when I think of the comparison to hair, because naturally I have curly hair, mm -hmm. but when it comes time to a, a job interview or, let's say, a, a professional setting, I do hesitate sometimes, should I straighten my hair? Mm -hmm. Would that make me look more professional? Mm -hmm. And and where for others, they don't have to sort of think think of, should I straighten my hair to look more professional during this interview? Mm -hmm. So it's easier to disconnect with yourself. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, interesting example. Yeah. This experience, having to think in that way is as if, yeah, I, I was thinking, should I? I don't know, sh sh shave my, my beard when I go to an interview. Maybe that's more actually more standard thing to do, but yeah. nowadays it's kind of accepted <laughs> that you don't do that as part, part, part of the style, but that's, mm -hmm. that's a style thing. And, 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 that's, and that's okay. It's not really linked yeah. to, to, to things of the past. When you have to think that for about who you are and mm -hmm. what's, what is really hard to change, I understand that, uh, Roshni, that must be... Uh, it must be tough to have that thought. It must be uh, you must then feel very, very confident about yourself to say, you know what, that's that's how it will go out. You're gonna get me curls and all. Yeah. <laughs> if you're gonna <laughs> accept me, accept me with my <laughs> curls. You know. And that didn't actually happen until I would say um, maybe three years ago. Mm -hmm. Up until that moment, I always had the image of mm -hmm. it's not professional or it doesn't look. Right. Or, mm -hmm. and it might be self-conscious. It might be coming from myself, but it might also be coming from examples. Sure. Of course. I came from somewhere. I came from somewhere. Yeah, exactly. And I recognize this <laughs> with my curls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Erin. Yeah. So this didn't exactly surprise me because I've known Dr. Cairo for a really long time and I know how um, empathic and... Um, lovely she is to her peers, but there's that moment when um, her students have been mistreated, and I think they even say something like, they just raped our work, and I feel so violated, and that um, Dr. Cairo is able to hold space and use her own experiences of tokenism mm. and call upon the blues aesthetic this mm. idea that that one must suffer or one must pass through ugliness in order to resurface i think those are the words used so i was very like moved i was profoundly moved by that section yeah. and and having an awareness of of how there's a cycle of these of these things and and being with someone the first time that they really encounter it on an emotional level um, and that she was able to um you know, listen and show kindness and, and mentor and, and advocate for those students. Mm. I mean, that's what this work is, is advocacy. So yeah. um, 
So I, I didn't find it surprising per se, <laughs> but I did find it, it like it resonated with me in this way that I've never heard anyone articulate it before. Mm. So it was surprising from the perspective of like, wow, that's very well articulated. But then again, not surprising at all, because I know Dr. Yeah. Caro. And that she does this work also. And I also believe because of your lived experiences that you can create those space for others. And I believe that if you weren't, weren't there, that there wasn't anyone else to advocate for yeah. the team yeah. in the way you did. And it was, it was, it was sh shocking because when it was happening, you know, I'm used to it. Mm -hmm. I'm used to it, but to mm -hmm. see, you know, and I, I had taught them that this is how it works and they knew how it worked in theory, but then to watch them like, what, you know, and, and to yeah. watch, yeah, like, mm -hmm. you know, and then as a mother, you, you can, you can, like, ah, you know, okay, okay, go through it, go through it, you, you know, I got you, I got you, mm -hmm. you know, because it's like, oh, my baby is suffering, you know, but, but I cannot go there because that does not help in that moment. And I just have to hold it. It's okay. You know, and and to watch them go through that, um, and and, it, and it's 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 growth, you know. But you have to hold the space and mm -hmm. allow them, um, you know. And and it's something I I had to learn, you know. Again, because a lot of times you want to fix it and make it better. No, no, no. This is not about fixing and making it better because, you know, this is the lesson, and you know, and uh, and you have to go. It's the that. blues. <laughs> yeah, it's the blues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Aminata, who did that for you? Who held space for you? Because I can't imagine anyone on our faculty did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, my my godmothers, and and I write about that too. And um, two in particular, yeah, you know, I have two. <laughs> uh, one one has passed on, and um, they were the ones. Um, I would call and, and cry on the phone and, and, you know, and there was one who would sing to me and, you know, you know, you got to sing. And, and the one that's the singer, um, she also told me, um, she said during the civil rights movement, we sang, you know, in South Africa, when it was time to march, we sang. So when it gets hard, you have to sing. And then she would sing to me on the, on the phone, you know, and these are the songs you should sing, you know, and, uh, and they did that for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's so powerful. Yeah. Mm. And also to think that the blues resonates with people from all different kinds of traditions. Yeah. But again, it's in, on some level, it's also appropriation, especially like Roshni says, when, when it becomes commodified and people profit yeah. from the songs. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's violence. Yeah. yeah. Bertrand, it looks like you want to say something, or is that my... It's just my, uh, my, my natural courage. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But I can say something, no, yeah. because we're kind of talking about like sort of energy of, of compassion here uh, that, that Dr. Cairo showed to, uh, to, to her own students. And that's also what uh, I felt when, when reading that chapter, because that's a chapter that is, I mean, appropriation as colonization. I mean, it's strong, you know. I think it's... Uh, it's hard, I think, to, to, to mm. hold back in, in pointing fingers. And I think what surprised me was the way the chapter was written because mm. it felt very understanding and like not blaming. And I think mm. bringing it that way is really good because it doesn't create a defensive reaction. But in return, you get understanding. Mm. And I, I think I read through it and then it made me feel like, oh, yeah, I... I I have to, 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 to grow that awareness and also, you know, spread that awareness. And 
I think maybe it wouldn't have created that in me if there was at some point some, some fingers pointed or some negative uh, examples being shown. So I think that was, that was strong that it was shown in that way. Thank you. Mm. Thank you. I yeah. appreciate that. Yeah, that's why I like the example that you used of the students as well, is that it creates a story that everyone can relate to, whether you experience appropriation yourself or or have no experience with it. Um, just reading that part, I think everyone can understand uh, what the students were feeling, and I think everyone could anticipate <laughs> where it was going. And it also draws a, a line between appropriation in action. So, because it started off with the students being dismissed. Yeah, let. they were working for the student branch. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, the student yeah. let. So you have a group of very capable, very smart yeah. um, professionals mm -hmm. who were from the start being dismissed. Yeah. yeah, You can draw a line to, for instance, a, a certain group that is also dismissed from the start. But then their work is used and profited yeah. by... Um, Others. by the people who were dismissing them <laughs> yeah. in the first place. And you could draw that to uh, it being commodified in the real world. So there was all these sort of small examples that you could see happening in any setting, I would say. Or to start off with the group being dismissed, but then all the all the efforts and the things they've worked for being used and, and misused mm -hmm. because it was wrong <laughs> as well. So... Yes, exactly. You could... You could it's a it's a nice small story to sort of um, show a real world example of appropriations. Mm -hmm. So the young professionals were, for instance, in this case, a minority group, and for instance, their work was versus the um, artistry of the minority group, mm -hmm. and then it being misused is, for instance, the commodification of the artistry from the uh, from the minority group. So, yeah. so it's a really good way of explaining how it sets out yes yeah. how it starts because it doesn't start with um equal footing like it doesn't start with two people who have equal footing it starts with one having more power over mm -hmm. the other mm -hmm. and for them to sort of play into that and use that and i think this happens a lot yeah which is why i like that it's tied to colonization mm. because you have the same power balance, you have the same issues and it sort of, it snowballs <laughs> in, in the same way into you can't really stop it as you hold space, you just let it play out. You just have the space to, for it to let it, to let it just be as it is and then come back to it instead of immediate response. I like it too because it's like a rite of passage. It's like mm. um, it's like a, a, a loss of innocence. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> suddenly seeing yes, the dynamics of this structural violence that we've all agreed to live under mm. in capitalism. I don't know that we've all agreed to it, but we have to deal with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or we're yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah. Mm. It's very powerful. Mm. And I like what Bertrand says, too, because it's, it's also not accusatory, because it acknowledges that it's systemic mm -hmm. and that we'll all come to an acknowledgement of it at a different point in our lives, hopefully. And, um, mm -hmm. but, the, but the big bigger piece here is the compassion and the kindness and the, 
Mm. The sort of like mentoring. So is there something in this chapter, some of the information that is useful for your own context or profession? And in what way? I'm always looking for materials to share with my students who are mostly, um, they're from Missouri, so they're not like coastal elites or anything. We're, we're not exactly rural here, but um, I, I'm always looking for things that will help students understand these big, big issues. And so, I mean, so I would, I would love to you know, use it as a text in a, mm. in a, in a classroom. I don't, I don't know if that's the intention of the book. What, who is your audience for this book? I, uh, all I can say is when I was doing the work um, as, as a professor of inclusive education, I knew that my approach was different. And then I was like, okay, I need to put this down and, and want to share it. And, and also, and I also wanted to write for, you know, to bring a different perspective. And in particular, when I think about my young people and my students out there um, who don't see themselves represented. Um, so I would love if people would use it in the classroom, but even but even beyond that. Um, so yeah, so I had particular students in mind, but um, yeah, but it really goes, goes beyond that. And I know I've already been approached by a lot of professionals who do diversity and inclusion work and, and things like that. Um, but I, I'm hoping, um, and the interesting thing is I knew kind of what I was going to write and I knew I was going to use stories. And, and then the more and more I started to write it, the more biographical it became. So, it's, because also I was like, well, am I going to share this story? Because I don't also don't want to put people out there, you know? So I was like, mm -hmm. let me just use a story of my own. But then the, the further I got, the easier it became to use my own stories. Um and so the, even though it is about a, you know, so a lot of them are from a, a black woman's perspective and experience, but I'm really hoping that, you know, as a human being, it can touch, you know, not just black women, but, yeah. but anybody. Um, yeah, that was the goal. What a gift. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Roshni Bertrand, do you think you can use some of the information in your own context or profession? At the moment, uh, I was feeling like not not really because I'm I'm working now in a very non-hierarchical mm. environment and I work in in account management and and sales, so the accomplishments are very measurable. Mm. So in a way, yeah, your results are very visible for what 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 you actually do. The yeah, the chapter more touched me on the, on on the personal level with the the notion of connectedness that is uh, that is more more dear to me um because yeah I, i've worked in a lot of uh, international environments a lot of international colleagues and having that then awareness of connectedness really helps to create a safe uh, environment for everybody and i think on the, on the work floor it's important that everybody feels kind of at home and safe so that they can perform at their best um so i think that's uh that's how the topic contributes to uh, to my profession. Yeah, and, and, and you know, when we first started out, you also said something about it rang familiar to her, to you, as far as how much it can hurt when somebody, you know, yeah. takes <laughs> credit for what you have done and does not honor the, you know, and uh, 
And, and then, yeah, and people underestimate how deeply that can hurt. Yeah. And when it happens time after time, at some point, yeah, yeah. you feel like, okay, I'm just going to stop mm -hmm. doing. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Roshni, do you want to share your... I think it's definitely useful in the, uh, in the development aid sector because I'm always worried whenever we talk about a project somewhere else, especially if it's based in the Netherlands and you're doing a project elsewhere um, outside of, so for instance, in the global south, I'm always worried that are we imposing our ideas too much? Are we imposing our ideals or principles too much? So I'm always constantly worried about that, mm. and um, and I always come in with facts and history, and I <laughs> and I like to make the facts and figures for why why it could be harmful and why uh, we should maybe take a step back. And what I like about this chapter is is that it goes into what it feels like. Mm. So it goes into what is the actual harm that is being done yes. and what can it potentially lead to. So I think it's it's a nice way to offset mm -hmm. what you want your projects to do versus what you what you're afraid of that your projects might do. Mm -hmm. It will be a good way to use this chapter to as a cautionary tale, Vincent. Yes. Wow. Thank you, Rosalie. Mm. Thank you. Great. Appreciate that. Mm -hmm. So maybe it also raised some questions for you, this chapter, or didn't it? Well, my question was the same as the one that I just mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. which is, uh, you know, I, re I received the chapter and I know that Aminata has been working on a book. And so it was just a kind of about mm. the, what is the scope of the book? Who's the audience? Yes. Because yeah. I, I can't imagine that it's not going to be fantastic no matter what. <laughs> but I just, um, but those were my questions was, you know, what is this a larger piece of? Mm. What, you know, yeah. Where is this going? So again, so it's so it's very personal in the sense that I, I knew I had something to say, and and when I was doing the work everywhere I go, I was like, okay, what I do is apparently quite different, um, and I thought it could help, and I wanted to bring a different perspective. Also, the work that I was doing, and, and not to criticize my colleagues or maybe just a little, but um, <laughs> when it comes to the diversity and inclusion work, it's like oh, you've been doing the same thing for the past thirty years, and things are not really changing all that much. Um, so I had a, you know, yeah, so I have a different way that I look at it and then just started writing and, and um, you know, kind of speak my truth. But it, it has, so where's it going? So, so I wrote the book and the book has five sections. So it has an introduction, then it has a foundation. And in the foundation, I talk about seven people that are my foundation. Then I have a beginning, middle and end. And in the beginning are the chapters that talk about how these structures came to be. And in the middle, I talk about the mechanisms that maintain these structures. And in the end section, I talk about things that you have to do, you know, if you want to address them. Um, so that so that's done. And then now, you know, and, and as I'm doing the work, it's like, oh. So now that last section, that end section, I'm kind of making a, a workbook, you know. So not just, okay, this, and, and this is how, you know, and, and this is what you can do by yourself, but also like with a group of people. Um, so for instance, in, in, I've written about, um, so in the workbook I wrote about, um, you know, from very young on, I got very, my parents were very supportive. 
right? And my father taught me how to read. And now my mother never did, you know, I, I didn't have to go to homework questions with my mother, you know, she, but she would come to the school and bake pancakes. So, you know, she was there. She would advocate for you. But as far as doing the actual work and sitting with you, that would be my dad. And, and I remember once my mother made an appointment at school because I was always, you know, I had to make good grades. And if I didn't make like an A, then I would be devastated. So my mother arranged for me to sit with her and the teacher to say, you know, a B is fine. You know, you are okay. You know, but, but she arranged. <laughs> so, so I had people that cared and were supportive. And so then the workbook is, what messages did you get as a child? I, I realized that I was very lucky. And then what messages do you wish you would have gotten? You know, and then looking back at this person, at this child, what message, you know, you know, looking back now, what would you tell that person, you know, and perhaps say something that you wish you would have had. And so, so to make that shift and to work on yourself, because sometimes we have missed things uh, and we're waiting for somebody to correct it, but you, you know, you can rewrite the story. So that's kind of what the workbook is about is to, you know, how are we going to rewrite this story about who we are? But also, and that can be personally, but also collectively, you know, because that's the work, you know, and, and, and how do we rewrite this? How do we, you know, do that different? So that's, so that's what's coming next. I think there's a huge appetite for this kind of like pedagogical material here in the States. I, I don't know what Europe, I imagine it's probably the same, but um, man, there's just a real shortage of good quality things to teach from. And, and a lot of it stays factual and superficial, you know, I hate to criticize yes. people, you know, like you said, it's not I love about the workbook aspect. And, and, and especially when, when I go to work, people, people, okay, what are the 10 best practices? And they want to know, well, what do I do? And it's like, you know, it's, it's not an intellectual thing. It has to, you know, you have to embody it. You have to feel it. You have to struggle with it and cry through it. And, you know, all that is part to it. Um, because what happens is when people are confronted with these things, then they're not prepared. And so then it's like, ah, it's too much. And then they fall back in what they have always done. You know, so we have to help each other to work through it and to go through those blues. And if we're going to do this, if we're really going to do this, you know, because dealing with appropriation is painful. And how do we do that? And, you know, and we're very good at laying out about what needs to be done, but not necessarily how, mm. you know, and take each other by the hand and say, okay, come on, let's go. So, mm -hmm. so that's, that's what mm -hmm. this is part of. Mm. I love it. Thank you. Are there things that hasn't been said in this episode? Do you want to share something important, maybe something you read about or something else you want to share? This is your moment. This is the time to do so. <laughs> I, I was still like, still like with approximately 15 questions or something that, that raised me. So when, when Dr. Cairo, you say like, I'm... I'm making a workbook to know how you can uh, you can act on your feelings. I'm like, okay, right. I want to read that very quickly because w w when that awareness comes, sometimes it feels you feel powerless. You feel like, how? Oh, where can I start? What can I do? And uh, how to to facilitate communication? Because to know, you, you need to hear it. You need to be able to speak. And then I wonder if it's that ever okay enough to, to appropriate something if you show that you know you care where that comes from and you respect the break can there be like a, a visual sign that makes it that hey look i'm wearing this but i i'm aware <laughs> and I, I, I don't know if that, that could be something you know like you need to have a license to, to, mm. to, to do that 
There is nothing wrong with taking or borrowing from each other's stories. After all, our stories are connected anyway. In many cultures, this is even encouraged. In the African-American juke joints, where jazz and blues are played, people are encouraged to take what is given in one another's music and to elaborate on it. The blues aesthetic acknowledges the important role of enhancing and elaborating on what is given. It shows our capacity to grow and excel through sharing stories. Similarly, in tap dance or even break dance challenges, one presents their work in the circle as a statement and the opponent is invited to elaborate on it. Each can use parts of the other's dance to bring their own performance to a higher level. It might be constructed as a challenge, but also functions as a gift. In hip hop, sampling of classic R&B music has led to the younger generation reconnecting with the older generation and validating their musical roots. You, you, we create because we want to share, you know? And this, you know, it's, it's, it's not like, oh, I'm creating this just for me because if so, then I would just hang it in my house and, you know, but we make music in a, because we want people to share. And that's why I talk about, you know, in blues and jazz is, you know, we want you embellish on it. We want you to make it better. We want you to make it your own, yeah. you know? And, but you can still give credit, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's the only difference. And, um, and, and even just did just that little bit, you know. Um, One part that that for me yeah, that, that, that needs that needs to be said is like uh, there was the part about the museums that the museums is really like the front window of mm -hmm. uh, appropriation. And <laughs> my God, you know. And, and actually, recently I've seen like I think it's mm. the, the country. I don't, know, I don't know if I pronounce it right. Like Benin or Benin. Benin, who talked to uh, to the French mm -hmm. president Benin, about yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. recovering some of the artifacts that had been taken away uh, uh, and, and displayed in French museums, and, yeah. and I was like, "Oh wow!" But but that's everywhere. It's it's in all museums. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's like, a whole okay, book it, to itself. It, it yeah, was yeah, yeah, yeah. Willingly yeah. was there like a proper compensation, but the proper compensation might have been relative mm. to the situation at the time. But it's actually exploitation in a way mm. i think that, that was quite mm -hmm. um that was quite you know very yeah, it makes me aware of that of that thing and then you see it happening you say like okay it's not okay that yeah, our yeah, artifacts yeah. are being displayed that they should come back i think i think egypt might have a lot to say about it right <laughs> what i liked about the chapter as well is that the question or the point of action is it's not just take is to honor ask is to be polite mm. in in essence mm. and i was wondering uh, when i was reading the chapter why is it so difficult to do that in this context because mm. in law you cite your sources mm -hmm. in journalism you give credit where credit is due yeah it's it's not a it's not a novel concept yeah but in this sphere it's 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 controversial it's quite the opposite so even when the request is so little, it's the bar is very low <laughs> to what you're actually asking of people. Yeah. But yet it's so difficult for many to get there. Mm. And I think it's because of people have all these uh, fears. Like, oh, well, no, I can't have 
uh, a different cuisine on Tuesday night because, or I can't have Taco Tuesdays anymore because <laughs> it's appropriation. But that's that's not the <laughs> that's not the love it. <laughs> yeah, but that's what I like. It's it's. It's not to punish, it's to, mm. it's to educate, yes. it's to be respectful, mm-hmm. it's polite, which is something that I think we know how to do. Yeah. <laughs> so it shouldn't be that difficult to do. Yes. I love that, Roshni. I mm. love it. Yes. I think yeah. this is a great closure for this wonderful conversation. Uh, I want to say grand tangi. <laughs> Thank you all for uh, attending this episode uh, Bertrand, Erin, Roshni Aminata of course thank you so much and uh, hope to, s- to hear you see you soon another time before we sign off we would like to give a special thank you to our guest today thank you podcast studio Amsterdam for producing this podcast and thank you our audience for tuning in and spreading the word. <laughs>